Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. You know, the last song we were talking about building our lives on a firm foundation. And, and that's really what we want, to, we want to be about here. And it's so easy to build our lives on all kinds of different things. I know even uh, last night, uh, my son and I, we went to the Red Sox game. Um, I've, who were they playing? Oh, they ended up Padres. And, um, <laughs> and sorry, you know, it's my team. And uh, it was just, you know, it's funny you had a game like that and you look around and team, sports teams let you down sometimes. Would you agree? Uh, wow, man, everyone in San Diego's like, no, what are you talking about? Okay, anyway. Okay, sometimes maybe the surf report lets you down. Surfline lets you down. Is that more relevant? Yeah. They tell you it's great and you show up. Yeah. So, um, but you know, we put our, we build our lives on the foundation of so many things that let us down throughout the week. And even sometimes in our own relationships, we put so much on each other and we will let each other down from time to time. It's just the nature of who we are as unfinished people in process as God's continued to shape us. But the unchanging nature of our Lord Jesus Christ and his grace will never let you down. And that's what we're about here at Seacoast. So thank you for being here. Uh, if you're a guest with us here today, I want to welcome you. We're so so glad you're here with us. Uh, we'd love to meet you. There's a one way you can let us know as we have a connect card. And if you like paper, the connect card is tucked into the seat in front of you. Um, if you uh, are more of a digital person, you can scan the QR code of that card right in front of you. It'll take you to a digital version of it. And if you're regular, you can always use that as well. It's a great way to take next steps. Let us know just decisions you want to make, information you want, or if there's something we can be praying for you about, use that Connect card. That's our way of being in touch with one another, and it's the easiest way. And you can drop it in the offering uh, boxes on your way out. Unless it's a digital one, we'll, we'll receive it right away. Uh, this, uh, so we want to let you know about that. Uh, one thing, I just have one announcement for you today, and tonight, just a reminder, is our volunteer appreciation event. So anyone who's been involved in serving here this year, uh, it's going to be back here. We have a taco cart, uh, uh, I think homemade churros and tortillas and stuff. Again, if you aren't volunteering yet, you have like 12 hours to sign up for something and get involved. And uh, so we're going to have a great time here tonight. Uh, we want to remind you about that uh, for those of you who will be here. And honestly, if you're saying, I've been meaning to step in and get involved, I'd love to hang out with some people and get involved, just come. Let us know you're coming, uh, and uh, we will accommodate you and get you signed up for the nursery. So... Uh, this morning, uh, you, this is a different event for us, uh, a different kind of Sunday morning. We do this once a year, and uh, this is what we call our Vision Sunday. And the reason we do it is because as a nonprofit organization, we have a, a, an obligation, uh, according to our bylaws, is we have a well, once-a-year annual business meeting. Now, when you hear that, I know some of you are like, this is what I've been waiting for all year. And, and a few years ago, we decided, well, we, we have this obligation, but what we really want to do is tie it to what God is inviting us to and what God is doing in our community. And so this morning is a, our official annual business meeting, uh, but, and, but a part of that is it's a, we're going to have teaching, there's worship, but the idea is we want you to see what God is inviting us as a church into. And we do have this obligation once a year where the congregation uh, uh, approves the budget that's been proposed by the staff and elders and finance team. So that's why you had this when you came in. And uh, for those of you who you might see, there's a QR code, and that will take you to a digital version of our annual report. So if you want to see what the ministries are planning for the year ahead, it takes you to that. There are a few printed copies. 
because we love all of you. Uh, but there is also, for those of you who don't mind seeing it digitally, that will take you directly to that. And at the end of the service, uh, we'll be asking everyone, whether you're a member or uh, just a regular volunteer, you can participate in this uh, budget uh, affirmation vote, and you can drop it in the boxes on the way out. You'll get more instructions on that. But now, I want to tell you this. When you hear all that, and if you're a guest, you're saying, what did I walk into? It's actually the perfect day to come and experience Seacoast. If you're a regular, I hope that you are encouraged by what's going on, and you can see who we're about as a church. Now, before we even continue on, I'd love to just pray over this morning, and then uh, right after that, we're going to watch just a little slideshow from things that happened at Seacoast in the last 12 months. So allow me to pray for you. God, we thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you that when we take a day where we just invite you in to say, Lord, what are you inviting us to as a church? How can we respond in faith to who you are in this community among us? God, this is our act of worship, responding to you. This is our act of worship, of linking arms together as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ who are all in process. We're all at different stages of life. Some are struggling financially. Some are struggling with health. Some are experiencing great joy and blessing right now in different ways. We're all in different spots, but we are the family of God together. And so we thank you for this place called Seacoast. We thank you for your provisions. We thank you for your faithfulness for the last 35 years. And God, this morning we pray as we just think about what you've done and what you want to do among us, I pray that you would shape and change us more and more into your likeness and image because of what you have done. So we thank you and give you this time in your name. Amen. All right, let's take a few minutes and just take a look on the screen and see some of the scenes from this last 12 months at Seacoast.
Yeah. So fun to look back and see a year of just the different things. Sometimes you forget of everything that's packed in to a year and all the fun stories, the fun trips, the fun events, and the th- ways that God has moved. And uh, I get the benefit, and our team gets the benefit of hearing a lot of those stories. And as we try to share those stories with you, uh, it's always so, it's so encouraging. We have. Uh, once a month where we always get together and just ask that question of how, where, where, where do we see God at work? And, and so I love to know that God is using you. He's working in and through and among you in the lives of those here and those in our community. So thank you for all you do uh, to be a part of Seacoast and, and making these uh, just such a fun thing to look back on. Uh, I'm going to just walk you through a few things, the biblical reason of why we exist, and, and just to remind you of this. And if this is, you said, I've heard this before, good. I'm glad you have because it's, you, I hope you've heard some of these things before. But when we talk about why do we exist as a church, we always say this, that we exist to help people discover life in Jesus and to learn to walk in his ways. This is the fundamental, this is why we believe that we exist as a church. Now what is a church? A church is a gathering of people and it's, it's not a building. A church is a gathering of people who are loyal to Jesus Christ. Now the church is much bigger than Seacoast. The church is global and it's the body of Christ that we are, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, connected together in Christ. Those who are loyal to him have given our lives to him. We walk with Jesus. That is the church. But there's a local church called Seacoast. There's a lot of local churches. And what, so we exist. This is the global church, but also us, is we want people to discover life in Jesus and learn to walk in his ways. That's what we're about. Now, if you say, well, where do you get that from? Well, let me show you. Jesus said this, one of the final things Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I commanded you. This is what we know in, in, in Christianity as the Great Commission. And, and this is bigger than just a popular memory verse. This is bigger, bigger than just something that we say or put on our walls and say that's what we're about. This is actually, there's purpose behind this. See, when God originally called the nation of Israel to be his people, And even further back, when he actually created people, he said, I'll create you in my image. Now go and multiply and fill the earth with my image. The original call was that God wanted those who were his followers to represent his name to the ends of the earth. He called the nation of Israel to continue that calling. In Christ now, that now that we as Jews and Gentiles are welcomed into the family of God, the calling has not changed. That he wants us to be apprentices, to be students, disciples of Jesus, so that we are formed and shaped into his likeness and image. That we represent the ways and words of Jesus everywhere we go, to the ends of the earth. See, because God has called a people for himself to bring his blessing, to bring his ways into the darkest places. The church was never intended to be a group of people who keep to themselves. The nation of Israel in the original call was never intended to be a group of people that says, let's just keep ourselves from everyone else. It was intended to be a blessing to all the nations. And that is what we we are called to do now. So we base everything we do on making disciples and helping people learn to walk in his ways, to discover life in Christ. Now you might say, I've already discovered life in Christ, so I don't need this anymore. But we believe that we discover life all throughout our journey. As we walk, we mature, we change, we have new life stages. We want to learn what does it look like 
to live the ways of Jesus, to walk the ways of Jesus in whatever stage of life you're in. And it's always going to be new for you. Have news for you. It's always new learning those phases. We've used, I've used the example before, but we are now entering a phase where a couple of my boys are getting older. One has graduated from college, which I can't believe. He's like Doogie Hauser. He finished with 15 years old, but not true. But, you know, we're getting to that older stage now. We have a high school, you know, our youngest is in high school, and we're looking at what will it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, to walk with him in a new phase of life when all of a sudden the kids are not the center of our calendar, of our schedule, of even what we eat. Young families, can you imagine that day will come one day? <laughs> and and we, we learn what does it mean to walk with Jesus in a new phase. That's why you're never done. So if you're out there and you say, I've got this all figured out, no, figure out your new stage and use your, where you're at to help us younger generations. See how I included myself there? And to learn and walk in the ways of Jesus. So we exist to help people discover life in Christ here and to the ends of the earth. That's what we're about. It's what God has designed the church to be. And we are not plan B. Isn't that crazy? We're his first choice to do this. So for us, we divide into three statements to say what will uniquely define us. And we call it home family movement. I just want to share really quickly what we mean about home. The first of those is because of what we're called to do, why we exist, we want to be a church that's a home for those who are lost and wandering in their faith. We want to be a home for those. That mean, what does home mean? It's a place where you feel welcomed in. It's a place where you can be who you are and have people who love you exactly as you are. Now, it's also people who might, we love you enough that we might not leave you where you are. We might want to help you grow and shape and change and work on things in your lives. But a home is where you can come and say, these people love me. And they welcome me. And that's what we want to be. And it's here on campus. And it's in your life groups. It's in your neighborhoods. We hope that you, everywhere you go, are a home to the lost and wandering. When I play basketball in the local uh, community center with my group of guys, many of whom have no evidence of a walk of Christ in their lives. Let me just say that. Some of them come every once in a while here. I would say it to their face and they know it. But it is important that I am a place where they feel like I'm home for them. Where they can explore faith with me that they know that I love them and accept them as they are. And introduce them to Jesus eventually is what my goal is. So we want to be a home for those who are lost and those who are wandering. Let's be honest. A lot of people grew up believing. A lot of people believe, but they've just wandered away from their faith. Many of you who have older or adult kids, you're, you're going through that right now. You're watching your kids do this. We want to be a place where they can come back and explore faith again and meet Jesus. Now, why do we do this? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 9. He said, it is not those who are healthy that need a physician, but those who are sick. Now go and learn what this means, as he was speaking to the crowds. I desire compassion rather than sacrifice. I'd rather have you be compassionate on people than to have all the religion figured out and have all the right prayers and do all the right things in the right order. They were, the Pharisees were struggling without saying, Jesus, we've got it all figured out. He said, I'd rather have you be compassionate than to be religious. Because I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. And that doesn't mean he doesn't come for those of us who are walking with him and who have a right relationship with God. It means that the, the mission is to invite people in to seek and save the lost. 
So how do we do that as a church? We always want to provide spaces where anyone can feel welcome. Yes, a Sunday morning, there are people here every week, who, you might be one of them right now, who are, you're, you're exploring faith, you're curious about faith, you're returning to Christ, maybe you're saying, I don't even know if I believe, but I'm here. We want to teach the deep biblical truths, we want to go through scripture, but in a way that is accessible to everyone. So we want to create those spaces. We want to be aware. We want to be praying for our non-Christian friends and neighbors. Those of you who have a pet, maybe a dog that you walk your dog through the neighborhood, what a great opportunity to pray for your neighborhood, to pray for your neighbors. You know how many times as you do that, God will give you opportunities to talk with people, to share with them? It's amazing how many times. Those with you with young kids, that often is the same thing. Little dogs and kids are the same, right? You meet neighbors when you have both. Okay, maybe not, but... One last thing about this. Why do we do it this way? Some of you might say, well, okay, reaching the lost is one thing to do on your own time, but when we're together as a church, this is about us, right? We've got to be strengthened. And I would say, yes, we do have to be strengthened. But notice what happens in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. It says this, that day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, so a public worship, the Christians then were also breaking bread, in, from house to house in their life groups. <laughs> they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. With what people? All the people. <laughs> and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you know what was happening in the book of Acts? Christians were gathering together. They were studying the teachings of Scripture. They were walking with Christ. They were building each other up. And they were welcoming in those who did not yet believe to, to be a part of that community. And daily, those who were spiritually curious were being added to their number. They didn't say, hey, you guys, we're doing a little private meeting here. We'll come to you later. So that's why on Sundays, we know that there's people who come who are seeking faith. So what do we invite you to do at part of the home, as we invite you to encounter God in your own personal walk with worship, we invite you to be a part of helping others encounter him. That's what we want to do as a church. So all of our ministries think through how do we have radical hospitality? How, if I'm a student, do I walk into student ministries, which is very awkward when you're a junior higher and you walk into a new space? How do they feel welcome? How do we help kids feel welcome? How do we help new parents feel like it's okay to show up? We're going to take care of your kids. We, think, we want to think through all of that and participate in that. So thank you for all of you who are already a part of those things. Um, we, so that's the first one, home. I'm going to invite uh, one of our elders, Greg Byers, is going to come up and pray for this area of our worship, of our vision about home, and uh, then we'll continue on with the next one of family. So thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Um, in Luke uh, 19, he writes um, that... The Son of Man came to save that which was lost. And um, Ryan did a really good job unpacking what it means to be lost and wandering. So uh, let me share a little bit about my story. Um, my parents brought me to church when I was a student. Um, I came, I listened, but I really didn't hear. And then as an adult, I came to church on special occasions, still listening, but not really hearing. Um, then in January 2004, sitting about where the Mitchells are, the Holy Spirit caused me to hear. Um, I was 46 years old, um, so I would say I was lost and wandering at that point. And then what happened, you know, Seacoast was my church then, 
and Seacoast is my church now. What, what the church did is the people came around me. Uh, they acted like the, they had 100 sheep, and they left the 99 and, and came after me, the lost one. Uh, they came alongside me. They nurtured me. They cared for me and taught me what it was to know Jesus. Um, why don't you pray with me? Father God, um, we are so grateful for you that you revealed your, your loving character to us. And uh, for your desire that we would have a personal, uh, intimate relationship with you. Lord, I want to pray that the front door of Seacoast would be wide, uh, would be open, welcoming, and easy. And that your Holy Spirit would be a beacon uh, that would draw in uh, the lost and the wandering. And my prayer, Lord, is that you would prepare the people of Seacoast, um, equip them, prepare them uh, to be the salt and the light for those that, that do come. And uh, my desire, Lord, is that the lost and wandering would come to know the, the peace, um, the hope, and the freedom that comes from your perfect forgiveness. Amen. the newly grafted in part of the pastoral staff, and it's so cool to be, be with you and to be able to talk just a little bit about, um, well, a little bit about being a family here at Seacoast. And it's easy for Debbie and me to do this because we feel like we've been grafted into a really cool and fun family. And so I just want to say thank you in a very personal kind of a way. But when we talk at Seacoast about being a family, we, we, we talk about it like, like this, that we're a family of disciples who are being transformed by the good news of Jesus, a family of disciples that are being transformed by the good news of Jesus. And, and of course, the way that my small and troubled mind tends to work a little bit, I, I just am fascinated by how dense a, a definition is like, like that. And, and the way that my mind works, I started going backwards in it. I thought, I just absolutely, I, I love this. And, 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 and maybe this will work for you. This is the way that it, it, it works for me, that 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 aspect of being transformed by the good news of Jesus, I started to go off just a little bit into my little wonderland, thinking about how good the good news of Jesus really, really is. That, that kind of begins to move backwards. And of course, for those of you who are familiar with the story that Ryan framed out for us of what it is that God is doing in human, human history, you are very aware of how good the good news of Jesus is. That, that, that Jesus came, as Greg said, to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you've ever been lost, of course, that is a terrible thing to be, right? But in addition to that, how good the good news of Jesus is, one of the things that has been fascinating to me for so long is that Jesus didn't just come to make good people a little better, and he didn't just come to make bad people good. He, he came to make dead people alive. That, that Jesus and only Jesus can, can make dead people. Well, what do we mean by this? Well, well, the Apostle Paul talks about being dead in our trespasses and sins and being made alive together with Jesus because of what it is that Jesus has done at Good Friday and Easter, or, or Jesus himself, right? He, he said, he, he said that, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would have what anybody know, would have eternal life right? And so only Jesus possesses eternal life and can give it to, to people. And Jesus, later on in the Gospel of John, in, in chapter 10, he says, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. See, this, this good news is so incredibly good because only Jesus has it and can give it away to people. Only Jesus can make dead people 
alive. And, and so that's transformative. That, that's what changes us. Paul called the, the gospel the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes, to all of the lost and wandering life and found and so that's how good the good news is and of course that that transformed us and we are being transformed and so i love the 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 tense of the verb right there that that we are a family of people who are not just tripped over some kind of a point and got it all but as ryan said so well we're a we're a, a group of people a family of people that are in process in other words, the, the good news hits us at a point, but it also, it also moves us into a process in which we are actually being changed from the inside out. That's what transformation means, by the way. It, it means to be changed from the inside out. And I love that the New Testament uses that, but I've had to think about it a lot because I have a great tendency in my life to try to change myself from the outside in. I have a tendency to look at myself and say, wow, I, I, that needs to get fixed. I better get on it. That, that I think that, wow, I, I want to kind of hide that part of me that I really think needs to be changed because I'm embarrassed or ashamed by it. And so I want to pull it off the table and make sure that no one else gets to see it till I work on it and work it out and kind of get it all together so then I can present my, my cool self to, to people. But Transformation is just the opposite. It actually means that, that Jesus knows everything about us, that he loves us in that, and that he works from the inside out in that new heart that only he can give us to be able to change us, and that's what ushers us into this aspect of being a, a family of disciples. As Ryan said, a disciple is a learner. That, that's actually what the word means. And we kind of get that in English, but it's not something that we use in a lot of other contexts, I'm a disciple of. It was common in Jesus' day to be a learner, an apprentice is the way that some people, and that we were a family of, of those people. And so now working backwards, the good news of Jesus is so good, so incredibly good, and only Jesus offers that good news that he gives eternal life to people, and that changes us. And it changes us from the inside out. It causes us to be able to bring our real selves right to him because we are already known so that he can change us from the inside out from the heart and that we are a family of those and I've thought a lot about that family, it's, it, that family aspect of, of what it means to be a church and what it means to be gathered around in, in community with, with one another because it seems to me that family is best when it's a verb. Like when we're doing family. When I think about our family, and I think about you know the, the text trails we have and how we love one another and how we come alongside each other in the victories and how we come alongside each other in the defeats, in the disappointments, in the grind of it all. That sometimes this, this construct of family is not just kind of a, a little bit of a feeling. Sometimes it's actually like way down on the ground and it's a verb. We're, we're, doing, we're doing family. My, my dad made coffee mugs for, um, for our family that says, because we're family. The, this aspect of, uh, of just like, this is the way that we do our family together and extension. And by extension, even as we think about that here at Seacoast, we want to be the kind of people who are doing family. 
where family is a verb. So all of the ways that we get together and shape one another flow from that great idea of the, of the transformative goodness of the good news in which we come together and we do this thing called discipleship, learning, apprenticeship together. And so that's what we want to invite one another into all through the seasons, as Ryan talked about, all through the seasons of life. Wherever you are in the journey, wherever you are in your spiritual maturity, wherever it are, you are in figuring out how good the good news is, and then whatever context you're applying it in, your family, your, your, your work life, your community, all of the different kinds of ways, it just goes everywhere. But in that family aspect, we want to continue to be that kind of place and invite one another to be that kind of place where we do this thing together. We do family together because no one can fix yourself alone, right? We were designed to live in community with one another and it's lonely, lonely, lonely to try to do this thing alone. So as we invite one another to be a part of a family, part of the Seacoast thing that we just absolutely love is that we get to do this in a multi-generational kind of family. And I love the fact that Seacoast is focused on next-gen stuff and always has been. So it's time for me to invite Josh up, who's my, um, my older brother from a younger mother. No, you're not either one of those things. Anyway, come on up, Jess. Talk to us a little bit about next-gen. Steve, you can't, you can't say my last name, can you? I caught it. You said Josh. No, sh no, I, did, yeah, but I didn't okay. even try, bro. You didn't even try, it, okay. It's, it's, hey, it's, I'll t we'll, we'll get to that. Shawnock. Shawnock. Josh Shawnock, with a K-R-Z. It's absolute weirdness. Hey, I get, the, uh, I get the absolute privilege this morning to talk to you guys about our next generation and why, as a church, we invest in the next generation. And as I was thinking about this, um, you know, I get five minutes to talk about it, but it, the, answer is, <laughs> the answer is in you know, 0.7 seconds. How can we not invest in our next generation, right? Um, I'm reminded of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we just hear, uh, we hear God's heart for his people. We hear God's heart for the home. We hear God's heart for his church. And he says, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons. Right? So we see that multi-generational heart of God even in that portion. And he says, do this by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Check this out in verse 4 where he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I feel like when he says that, like this hear, O Israel portion, he's drawing a special attention to these couple of verses. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children 
And you shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And we see God's heart not only for our families, not only for you, but for the next generation. And so when asked that question, you know, why do we invest in the next generation? I mean, the the answer, again, is how can we not invest in the next generation? I'm reminded of a book that was given to me when I was about to become a father for the first time. I grew up without my dad, and I was immensely nervous about the the prospect of raising children. And then my father-in-law gave me a book by a gentleman named John Eldridge called You Have What It Takes. And it's a very small, probably less than 100 pages, where he gets to his point and he says, every young man, dads, every young man needs to know from you that he has what it takes and that you can do this. And every young lady, she needs to know from you. And you need to tell her 101 different ways that she is lovely and that she is worth fighting for. But here's what's at stake. It's not just dads, but it's spiritual fathers that our kids are crying out for. Because John Eldridge continues and he says, if we don't tell our sons that they have what it takes, if we don't tell our daughters that they are lovely and they are worth fighting for, then there's some knucklehead up the street. There's some gang of guys right over here that's going to tell them that in some other way. And they're going to find their identity there, right? They're going to find the yearning of their heart there. And I think that that translates to the church well as spiritual dads, as spiritual moms. Scripture would say, older ladies pour into the younger ladies. Older men pour into the younger men. Like, how can we not invest in the next generation? Because there's a world out there, there's a world out there that's sending a lot of messages to who they are and where they belong, right? And all of it, all of it's a lie, all of it's counterfeit. We have the truth, right? We have the truth. So how do we support our children's ministries? How do we support our kids' ministries? Well, we support it through prayer. We covet your prayer. We covet your prayer. Please pray for student ministries. Please pray for children's ministries. One prayer that I think Katie and I would high-five on and just love for you to pray every day is, the, the harvest, you know, there is a harvest that is, there is a crop that is white for harvest, but the laborers are few. You know, so men and women that would catch this vision to raise up a generation that loves Jesus, right? So pray, right? Also, we support our children's ministry and our kids, our, our, our student ministries through financial support. And when you look at the budget, I think this budget just with great emphasis reflects the... Uh, the imperative or the the burden that this church has for the next generation, generously equipping us to meet the kids where they are, that we might present to them a truth that is eternal, right? And then also, we support children's ministry and student ministries by getting involved. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 paints this picture of the church being a body. And in that body, there are many different pieces, from the pinky finger to the little toe to the heartbeat in the middle, you know? Like, we're not all a a mouthpiece. We're not all the ear. But it takes so many to make this thing move forward. And children's ministry and student ministries is such a microcosm in many ways of what it takes to make the church as a whole go. 
And so just searching our hearts and asking God, you know, what are the gifts that you've given me that could help to reach a student or a child, you know, this next generation? Because it's valuable, it's needed, and it's meaningful. I promise you that. Um, at this moment, I'm going to invite Matt Jarvanen, one of our elders, and he's going to pray over our next generation ministries. And uh, just again, answering that question, you know, how do we invest or why do we invest in next generation? You know, how can we not, right? So thanks, Matt. Yeah, thanks, Josh. We join me in prayer. God, we are your family. Thank you for that. Thank you for welcoming us in as your people, for making us brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, and for knitting us together as a community with that common purpose. God, you meet us as kids when we are just struggling with basic needs. You provide them. And when we're students and we're grappling with school and challenges, friends, you are there for us. And when we're young adults and young marrieds and grappling with all of those challenges of newness and transition, God, you're there. And so we ask, God, that you would <clears throat> invite us along with your presence in each of these places. Will you put in each and every one of our hearts a unique calling Will you give us courage, God, to listen to where you're inviting us specifically to pour into, where you've put on, our heart, on your hearts, on our hearts, the calling to serve, the calling to be one piece of your family with each other. Call us into that, God. We give that to you, and we pray that you would just bless that as we partner with you, as we move with you in making disciples of our families and of the next generation. Thank you, God. Amen. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Josh. You know, one thing uh, that for me I hope is evident is I love being, there's an amazing team of elders and staff who lead this church. Are they amazing? There's so, there's so much strength and so I, I love it. I feel so blessed when I hear Steve and Josh teach and, and Dom and, and just the whole team and all the things that they're bringing, the th things that Katie brings to the table and Emil and Robin and we're going to miss some. Patricia, now that I said some, I have to say them all, right? Otherwise I'm in trouble. Um, but we, have, we just have this amazing team who loves you well and uh, who really are giving their lives for this church and for this mission. And, our, and your elder board uh, it has just sacrificially uh, just given so much time, even in the last, just think of the last three years, the, the things that were not on our schedule <laughs> to work through. And uh, I love being a part of this team. It is such a great team. Um, you know, so we start with we're home. And so we're home for, as a church, that we want you to encounter God. We're family of disciples. We want you to connect in your church. And, and, and we're focused on next generation. And this last one is this. We are a movement of people blessing, blessing the neighborhoods in which we live, work, and play. 
What does that really mean? What this really means is, again, we are together. This is not a one-person thing, but we are called to be a blessing. It's actually at the core, again, as I already said, of who we are designed to be is actually to be a blessing. When God originally called Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, the forefather of the uh, nation of Israel, he said, I will bless you to be a blessing. As I bless you, all the earth will be blessed through you. It's that picture of what God's empowering us to do. So again, we want to be changed inwardly to live outwardly. Now I know you think, I I know that's a hard part for some of you. It's not natural always. And and we're not talking about, you're called to stand on the corner on a soapbox and preaching or, or walking around with a big sign that says Jesus saves. Some of you actually are, into that kind of thing, and that's cool. But most of you are not, and the idea of being changed to live outwardly sometimes can be intimidating. But there's little ways that we do that that I think are just part of the rhythms of everyday life that many of you are already doing it. As we learn to pray for our friends and neighbors and coworkers, that's one of the things. Invite them into a meal, eat together. Listen to their stories, learn to serve one another. These are ways that you can bless other people. Why do we think this? In Jeremiah chapter 29, the nation of Israel was carried off into exile and they're living in Babylon. Babylon was not a nation following God. And in the midst of that, that they were so different and in in a culture that was so counter to the ways of God, this is what they were instructed to do. God speaks to the prophet, to the people and says this, seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because as it prospers, you too will prosper. In other words, you should care about the place I've brought you, even if they don't believe in me, follow me, worship me, or even care about me. Could you imagine what it'd be like to live in a place that doesn't care about the ways and the teachings of God? Can you imagine what that would be like? Do you mean a place that, you know, they have view, world views and, and teachings that are counter to what we find in Scripture? That'd be interesting to live in that kind of place, wouldn't it? Where the worship of God isn't honored and people don't think like it's such a great thing? I mean, that's the world we live in. That's Southern California. We are in exile in the sense of we're not in the promised land. We're not among a place where people, our, our lawmakers and our leaders are, are saying, you know, I wonder what's the godly thing to do in this situation. And so we could do one thing. We could say, so we need to circle the wagons and fight. And I'm not saying you never vote. Of course, we want to vote. We want to try to make changes as much as we can. But in the midst of that, what Israel was called to do was to pray and to bless. To actually bless those in the community in which, of the people who called them into exile. So we want to bless our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, the places we play. We want to find ways to serve, to care for, to pray for them, to be a blessing. And of course, it's for the opportunity to ultimately hear stories and share our story of how Jesus has actually made a difference. Because here's the thing. We believe that following Jesus is the best way to live. Amen? We believe that if you want hope in your marriage, you want hope in your parenting, you want hope in a world where it feels like it's crumbling, we need our foundation to be something other than ourselves. We need something that is not shifting and changing with the tide. We need it rooted and grounded in Christ. And if we believe that works for us, 
We should believe that works for everyone. And so we want to be a blessing everywhere we go. And the old saying is this, our good works create goodwill for the good news. Why do we bless? Because our good works create goodwill for the good news. The guys who I, and I've used this story, the guys who I play basketball with, I don't even do the setup anymore. I just can jump straight to the, and say like, hey bro, I wanna share with you some truth because we have a relationship. They trust me now. I've followed them many times kindly and, and I, I've been okay when I've been followed by them. Anyone awake this morning? You guys are, need to do some more. But yes, because we've created goodwill for the good news. So what do we do, part of the movement? Part of it is we want to train you to live in your everyday rhythms. We also do practical things, our involvement in CRC, our involvement in the local community. We're expanding our partnership with, a thing, uh, with Birth Choice, which helps with uh, unexpected pregnancies, with a mentoring program that we're hoping to get off the ground. Um, we actually have been working with Aviara next door. Uh, we're doing a, a monthly, and now it's going to be every two weeks. We do a little worship gathering for them next door and um, hospital visits. There's a team that goes over there to, to pray for people. Last week, right on Mother's Day, someone came over and said, can you come pray? And I'm in there with a room, and the, the, the person I didn't even go to see heard me speaking from the other side of the curtain. goes, hey, pastor, I'm here too. So it's like, okay, two for one. Let's go. We want to be, uh, so we're, we have an active involvement there again. How can we bring the good news through the things that we do, all our different giftings? Uh, for, through Spanish language ministries, we continue to work on uh, adjusting strategy, and we're still seeking after that. Uh, this year, uh, last year, we started ESL classes, going to do that again this year. We had 18 students go through the first phase of it, so we learned a little bit, how do we do this better? That's our way to reach that first generation that doesn't speak English. So we have ESL and after-school tutoring, uh, coming up this year, I'm launching a couple in Spanish life groups that are for those who maybe you're here in this gathering, but your heart language is Spanish. And so when you really kind of go deeper, you want to speak in your first language, but you have no problem. So you're kind of second generation. So the goal is we're translating rooted. Um, and so we're going to have rooted in Spanish this year, as well as some life groups. And all of that is how do we reach people? How do we, how do we give you opportunity to be part of a movement blessing others? The other thing we do is we support missionaries. We have missionary. We have uh, right now. There's nine missionaries. We have uh, global missionaries as well as uh, regional and local that are helping to bring the good news of Jesus. And as we kind of conclude the teaching part part of this time, um, I'm going to show you in just a moment a video update from one of our missionaries, and then Kent Quakendall, who is our chairman of the elder board, will come up and uh, explain what the budget is, and we're gonna end with a worship song after that. So, uh, but we want you to see part of being a blessing to the community, to the ends of the earth, is also your support of Global Missionaries. So here is an update from some All right, of hi, we are Greg and Kim Verbeth, and we have been missionaries for quite a while with Seacoast Community Church. Our passion and vision is to win, build, and send. And we've been doing this now for over 33 years throughout the world. We started, actually started in New York City, Hungary, Netherlands, and France. And uh, currently, I'm the vice president of our organization, Right for Harvest. Uh, our desire is to help shepherd our staff of over 300 people, and then also our uh, field directors throughout the world. And we do this by visiting them in person to help 
encourage and pray for them and be with them and see how God is working in and through them. So one area that I think I really saw Winville and Sand really played out was in our time in, in Budapest, Hungary. And we were just coming from New York City, just been trained and was wondering, you know, why I was there and, and what I could do. I mean, it was basically a very difficult time with young children. And the more I saw that there were young moms like myself that were struggling, you know, in a unique new country and, and with kids and family and trying to figure that out, the more God put on my heart to just um, start that ministry. So as the Bible study grew, I was able to share Christ, see people come to Christ. And from there, uh, we saw families changed and that, that was really exciting. That really kind of solidified that, wow, this really works. As their company sent them out to the next location, they were able to then start the same thing, the Bible studies on their own. And you know, so it was really exciting. Yeah, and then we led very many, many, many years later, here we were in Lyon, France, uh, where I was the lead pastor of the international christian community of leon we did the same thing here you know all these international students were there they were you know hungry for a safe community to attend so we created community events to win them to christ then we started discipling them and one couple in particular was Wadden and Ness, who were newly married actually i married them in guadalajara um, they had a passion to go into full-time ministry and so we came alongside them and mentored them, and they are to this day now raising their support uh, to go to Madrid, Spain, and plant a church there. In fact, they'll be here in August. They're coming to visit us, and we'll bring them to Seco, so you may have the opportunity to, to meet with them in person. So it's been exciting to be a part of that and to continue this on, this strategy that we have and the passion that we have to win building Center. So how can Seacoast be praying for us? Well, as we mentioned, we have um, over 300 staff that uh, we help shepherd and daily we're on multiple Zoom calls with them and, uh, and then also working with our field directors. So you can pray for us that uh, God gives us the wisdom, discernment to speak into their lives, encourage them. Um, there's a lot of uh, staff that have financial issues um, and, and raising support, and so yeah. we started up a, a support raising um, encouragement group under a great book called The God Ask, so we've been working with them on that. We also teach Freedom in Christ classes mm -hmm. to help so many people, you know, on the mission field, they're on the front lines, it's really difficult, um, and they need to remember their identity in Christ, so we found that to be a really effective tool. It's been a blessing uh, to be a part of uh, this ministry and to have Seacoast partner with us and as I mentioned the underlying current is to help the those who are investing to multiply those investments over and over and over again as Jesus said in Luke 12 33 and 34 is to store up your treasures in heaven where nothing can touch it you know and so we have been blessed by Seacoast to help you know, with the investments they've made in our lives and to multiple individuals throughout the world that continue to move forward to help present the gospel and to win, build, and send. We've been privileged 
to be a part of Seacoast. We want to thank everybody yes, thank you, for investing in the ministry that we've been a part of for the many years. Good morning. Uh, it's hard to not get excited about what's going on at Seacoast right now. And it just feels like, oh, we've come out of a three-year COVID fog, doesn't it? And getting a rejuvenation of energy uh, and staff and mission. And now we get to the business portion of our meeting where it's not really uh, just business. This is an act of worship in supporting, to understand and support uh, and then approve our budget that supports these ministries. Um, and the budget, just uh, if you don't know, the budget process is about a five-month process. Uh, it's done predominantly by our finance team, our finance committee, uh, led by Dave Stapleton. I think, Dave, are you here this morning? Somewhere. There he is. Uh, we've got a fine team with him. We've got John Merritt. Uh, we've got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to screw this up. Uh, let me pull it out. I don't want to screw it up in front of you guys. Yeah, John Merritt, Peter Mers, um, Christina uh, DeHaven, and of course Greg Byers, who serves as our elder liaison on the finance committee. And they have spent a ton of time um, analyzing the level of support, putting it together like you would any other organization. And we thank uh, that team for their hard work. Uh, and Greg for his hard work in that over the last 10 years or more. Or more, thank you, Greg. Um, so the process this morning is you have little ballots on your chairs, and we just need to, uh, we want to get input from uh, everyone, members as well as regular attenders who are not members, uh, and then we go through them all and we kind of understand uh, any comments. You feel free to put any comments on there, but we're going to take a minute right now to, uh, to fill those out, and then you're going to turn them in on your way out in the repositories, the offering repositories. Uh, at each door as you head out. So as you um, commit to supporting the vision you've heard this morning, uh, commit with your heart, your time, and your resources to support that, uh, we ask that you prayerfully cast your vote and turn that in. <laughs> 